Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm Jordan Jones. We are back here today after a couple of weeks off, and I do apologize for that. Uh, life has been a little busy here the last few weeks, but we're back here today to talk about all things Purdue sports, because even though we're in May, even though the academic year is over, there is never a real quiet time in the world of college athletics. Uh, so there's some, plenty of stuff to talk about today. I've got a couple of cool episodes planned here for the next couple of weeks. So looking forward to that. But um, going to get into a little rhythm here. Uh, June, July coming up. There's a lot going on then. And that puts us right into the countdown of kickoff. So Today, we're going to talk about a little bit of both basketball and football, uh, certainly on that recruiting and transfer portal side of things for each. Um, and we'll wrap up a little bit with the news of the past week in college athletics being conference realignment as the ACC may or may not be in good shape moving forward. Uh, as always, be sure to follow over on Twitter at Boilers Beyond, and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. Uh, we got a fun one next week. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I'll tell you a little more later on in the show, but I wanted to start off today with uh, some news that is now a couple weeks old, but we haven't had the chance to discuss on the show and it's something that gets people going, and that is basketball recruiting because Purdue picked up its third commitment in the class of 2024. That's Raleigh Burgess, six foot eleven, forward slash center. Uh, he's a big man out of the state of Ohio. Chose Purdue over a number of high major offers. Uh, you look at that offer list, Virginia, Indiana, Ohio State, some of the notable ones on there. But a, a pickup for Purdue that now brings the total number of commits in that class to three. Um, I think with Burgess, he's a guy who it does come with the caveat that he's currently injured. Um, so in terms of this evaluation period on the uh, on the AAU circuits, you know, he didn't really get to do much, but what he did, get to do is participate in most of his junior year of high school ended early because of a foot injury uh, projects to be just fine here to play his senior season of high school with a foot injury but you know he's a guy who probably can play either the four or the five you know it just really depends what your lineup looks like and I think it depends what your roster looks like too you know, right now, I, I think you see that with Purdue because Caleb First and Trey Kaufman Wren are playing some of the four because that's where the minutes are. You know, Zach Eady's taking so many minutes at the five that guys have to move around a bit. I think Burgess is a guy who, depending on what the roster looks like, could play the four. You know, at that if he plays the four. Quickness, you know, defensively, what do what does that look like? I don't know. You know, we've not seen him play that role at the Big Ten level yet, so it's hard to tell. Uh, he can certainly step out and knock down some threes 
if he's playing the center position, if he's playing the five, you know, I think he, he'd be awfully quick for a center. So you could do some small ball stuff with him there to whatever degree 611 categorizes as small. Uh, that's all incredibly relative there. But uh, if he's at the four, you know, you certainly have a huge rebounding advantage there as well. So it's a bit of a balancing act, but Burgess is a really solid pickup. Um, you know, all of the, I guess, all of the dreams in the 2024 class with a big man were on Flory Badunga for a number of reasons. I don't think that was ever going to happen for Purdue. So you move on from that and you get a really solid guy in Raleigh Burgess, someone who projects to be a really nice piece in this class, which is now up to three players. Uh, you've got Cannon Catchings and Jack Benter who committed um, what Benter would have been last July or August. Catchings was last September, I believe. That's some nice balance there. You know, you have uh, Benter as an off-ball guard, you know, kind of that prototypical shooter. You have Cannon Catchings, someone who is a true wing, you know, who could play the three, could play the four. And then you have Raleigh Burgess, someone who could play the four, or could play the five. Some nice positional balance, a little bit of versatility there too. Uh, it's shaping up to be a strong class for Purdue. I think it's off to a really nice start. Of course, up next, you're looking to add a guard there. Someone, you know, maybe not a true point guard, but someone in that backcourt. Uh, and there are two names that you hear the most about. That would be Jakari Harris and that would be Travis Perry. And for many reasons, Jakari Harris seems to generate the most buzz. Certainly, if you hang out over on the message boards or on Purdue Twitter, Jakari Harris is the guy that, you know, the fans are clamoring for. There are multiple reasons for that, but let's go ahead and eat the low-hanging fruit here first. Jakari Harris is the son of Glenn Robinson, one of the greatest players in Purdue history, if not the greatest. You can settle your Rick Mount versus Glenn Robinson debates somewhere else. Um, not here for that. But that alone is going to create a ton of hype around Jakari Harris, um, as it should. But it does come with the caveat. Be careful with that. You know, Jakari Harris is a really nice player. Jakari Harris is kind of a top 100 guy, uh, right on the edge of that, depending on which recruiting service you look at. Um, on three has him at 108, 247 has him at 110, Rivals has him at 104. So just outside the top 100, uh, you know, right between a you know, the fringe of four-star, three-star recruit. Jakari Harris is a nice player. Glenn Robinson was as blue chip of a recruit as it gets coming out of Gary Roosevelt. There's a little difference there. Uh, it's going to be the storyline if he were to come to Purdue in every single game. You know, it, it's going to be the same storyline as Zach Eady playing basketball and hockey. Um Matt Harms being tall and from the Netherlands, Caleb Swanigan losing a lot of weight, you know, 
it's those storylines that the media just eats up. And that's what that's what you're going to get should Jakari Harris choose Purdue. If you follow it, there's plenty of reason to think that Purdue's in a good spot there. Uh, the Rivals guy, I think Rob Cassidy over there, did a story on him recently that seems to you know, indicate that Purdue's far ahead. Uh, and he's not the only one who's reported that. So... Does anything happen this summer? You never know. I think typically, you know, these guys want to be committed so they can sign in November before their senior season of high school ball gets underway. Um, we'll see if anything happens on the Jakari Harris front. But he's, you know, kind of a, from a play style, a little more physical, maybe a little, you know, a little more active with his chest and embraces contact a little more than what Purdue's had on their roster recently. Uh, not sure if he, where he's at in terms of a, a three-point shooting ability. Um, we'll see. I think he's a really nice piece, though, and I think he'd be a really good get for Purdue. And I think the same thing about Travis Perry. Uh, he's a guy who has played varsity basketball since he was in seventh grade. So he is second all-time in scoring in the state of Kentucky history, I think. I think. Um, maybe he passed that record already. I don't know. But it, at least at one point, he was second. A uh, lot of high major interest there. Indiana, Michigan, Kentucky have all offered probably a little bit more finesse of a player than Jakari Harris. Um, he, I've seen Travis Perry in person. You know, he's a guy who is a real three-level scorer. Uh, he's really comfortable in a mid-range pull-up, can shoot it from outside. I know on the um, Adidas circuit earlier this summer, he had a 30-plus point game where he made like six or seven threes playing for a really good Indiana elite team with Cooper Cook and Flory Badunga. But, um, you know, Perry's another solid player as well. Uh, he's taken a ton of visits. Purdue's been, been there every step of the way. So the question would be, A, could Purdue land both? Would they take both? Look, it's always hard to land two guys kind of at the same position, and that's where Purdue's at here. These guys are kind of both combo guards. You know, I don't know that either is your traditional classic point guard per se, but I think both can handle the ball a bit. Uh, Perry does it for his AAU team, and I'm sure he does for his high school team. Not sure on Jakari Harris, but... You know, these guys both fit a similar mold. And it's not like it's a room that, as of now, projects to be wide open even in the fall of 2024. Uh, on the roster, just theoretically here, you'd have Braden Smith, Fletcher Lawyer, Miles Colvin, Camden Heidi. These guys would all be around. And while maybe Heidi doesn't slot in at the two, you know, I think pretty highly of Smith, Lawyer, and Colvin. There are guys at the one and two at the two, maybe, who, you know, are going to be taking minutes. So you never know. Um, I don't know that Purdue would get both, but 
you know, look, it's a good problem to have if you get one of these guys in the bag and are still pursuing the other. Um, keep an eye on that. We will be following the 2024 recruiting cycle all summer. And I would guess uh, by the end of summer here, we've got a pretty good idea of where Purdue's at. They have on paper, I think, four scholarships. But, you know, in this day and age of the transfer portal, I don't think you ever really have to worry about scholarships too much because, you know, unless you're trying to oversign by multiple, it seems pretty likely that at least one is going to end open up after every season. I did want to at least touch on Zach Eady uh, because I record this. It is Sunday night. It is May 21st. I will check Twitter right now as... I record this to make sure that there has not been a decision by Zach Eady. I don't think there has been. I don't suspect that there will be um, f- for the next few days. Now, he does have to decide by May 31st. That is the deadline for early entries to withdraw from the NBA draft. Um you know, he went to the combine where he tested, uh, did some of the drills there, did not play five on five, and then did a workout with his agent, it appears, where he did some some shooting, some uh, dunking, you know, some passing drills like that. If I had to guess, I still think Zach Eady's going to come back to Purdue. We've been over this countless times. It feels like it's something, you know, during the season we were talking about it a lot. And then since the season ended, it's still a topic. But, you know, look, the NIL component of this changes everything. If this were even three years ago, the 2020 NBA draft in May of 2020, there was no NIL. Uh, that wasn't something that happened till June or July, I think. So, you know, that it would make it a, a closed decision. Zach Eady would be gone if it weren't for NIL. Uh, it, it would be foolish to come back if he wasn't going to be compensated for coming back. But now, I think it's very realistic, if not entirely likely, that Zach Eady would make more guaranteed money by coming back to Purdue next year than he would as a second round pick or undrafted free agent in the NBA. Um, You know, it just, it continues to speak to the times of the NBA where it is a much more free flowing offense where the traditional center, while I don't want to say useless uh, to describe it, it's certainly not utilized very much. It's not a position that the NBA values. So, you know, the NBA's lost to a certain degree there. Could be Purdue's gain, but we'll see. Um, once he makes a decision, and once I have the chance to sit down and record, we'll talk about just some early thoughts on the upcoming season, but I will certainly wait uh, for Zach Eady to make his decision Because then, as John Rothstein says, we will have full clarity about Purdue heading into the season. 
turning the page here to football uh, on Thursday, this coming Thursday, it will mark 100 days until kickoff of Purdue versus Fresno State to get the new era of Purdue football underway. Ryan Walters' first game inside Rossade Stadium. And it's really going to look like a new era, too, when you consider all of the roster turnover that has taken place. Um, it's a crazy part of the sport. You know, I, I got my Athlon season preview magazine in the mail earlier today. And, you know, it's, it's hard for anyone to project at this point because these rosters aren't finalized yet. Uh, It's crazy how much the transfer portal has changed things in the sport before, you know, before the transfer one-time transfer rule passed, you got your Athlon magazine and that roster was good as gold. Maybe one guy would fail out. Maybe one guy would just, you know, quit the team. But now there are plenty of guys in the portal. Purdue lost a player this week. I don't know that they wanted to lose. Jacob Wahlberg hopped in the portal. He was a guy who was probably projected to start at inside linebacker this season. You know, this is this all stems from, of course, the fact that graduate transfers, guys who have their degree from their previous school, can hop in the transfer portal at any time. So even though that transfer portal window closed back on April 30th, that does not mean that players can't still hop in the portal. Uh, It is possible that we get deep into summer and are getting ready for fall camps and then guys pop in the portal. All of that's kind of on the table here. So uh, Purdue loses Jacob Wahlberg. I think there is some question about scheme fit. Uh, Wahlberg is kind of your traditional Mike linebacker who is going to play in the middle, is going to work downhill a little bit. Um, whereas in Ryan Walters' defense, you know, those linebackers are needed to be a little bit quicker. You know, Purdue wants to force the ball carrier to the outside where the linebackers can go sideline to sideline and the safeties can come downhill on the outside to go make tackles. Uh, Wahlberg doesn't necessarily fit that sideline to sideline mold as much as maybe you'd like. But if we're being honest here, I don't know who does on Purdue's roster right now. Uh, This group inside linebacker is becoming an area of concern just because of the sheer numbers. Purdue has OC brothers back at starter excuse me, back as a starter, a guy who played a little bit in 2021 as a transfer from Auburn, then started a lot last year. He's back. After that, Clyde Washington is still around. He's someone who has played some as a reserve, but it's not like he's played a tremendous amount of football at Purdue. And then who else? You look at maybe a couple freshmen, and you probably look at Yanni Karlaftis. Uh, he's really, you know, kind of been a pinball a little bit, moving positions throughout his two years at Purdue so far. But I think inside linebacker almost has to be his destination now just because of the numbers there. Uh, it's slim pickings in that group. I don't, 
you know, the, this isn't going to be the same style of defense where Purdue had, you know, the classic three linebackers on the field. That won't be the case, you know, regardless of how deep Purdue is there, but it is going to be a much different looking linebacker group than maybe what Purdue would have either hoped for or at least thought with how thin that is right now. In terms of recent additions, though, you know, just move back one one unit on the defense, and Purdue has completely overhauled the room at corner during this summer, uh, during the po- two portal periods. couple of experienced uh, transfers in Marquise Wilson from Penn State, Salim Turner Muhammad from Stanford, and then you get two guys from Ole Miss and Markevious Brown and Braxton Myers. Myers is a true freshman, so uh, he was an early enrollee at Ole Miss, went through spring ball, and then entered the portal. Um, so a ton of ton of growth to do there, but he was a four-star recruit. Purdue also added a Juco guy, Botros Alessandro, uh, to that corner unit. It is completely overhauled. Um, that is something that Purdue certainly took seriously. It's a very important position in Ryan Walter's defense. And, you know, in reality, it's a very important position in any defense in the pass-heavy era of college football we live in now. But uh, especially important in Ryan Walter's defense because he wants those guys uh, to be able to play on an island a little bit and really, really... uh, you know, be a, a one-man stopper there, kind of. It comes with the caveat that Jamari Brown, eh, he's the only real returner with any experience. So it was very needed, but it's going to be interesting to see how quick that group comes together. By my count here, you know, Purdue's got one or two scholarships available as of right now. Uh, again, graduate transfers could still enter the portal, so it is possible that Purdue could have more scholarships open up over the summer here. But, you know, I've got to guess that Purdue is getting to the point, and I think in general in this portal, guys got to be pretty much done hopping in for the most part. You may see a name here or there, but even the spring cycle was relatively quiet, uh, not a ton of big names. I would expect it to kind of stay that way over the summer. I think if Purdue can add, you know, you certainly want to fill all 85 if you can. As we mentioned, inside backer would make a lot of sense. I think Purdue would love to find an offensive tackle, but as we've kind of discussed here before, it's really hard to get off true offensive tackles out of the portal. A lot of the guys you're going to find are inside linebacker, excuse me, inside interior offensive linemen, guys who can play guard. Really, that's the majority of it. Centers are the easiest to find either. Uh, But offensive tackles are some of the most coveted guys in the portal. Outside of Mohamed Musa, I mean, Daniel Johnson's probably your right tackle right now. He missed most of last year with an injury. 
I don't know that you really want to push Marcus Bow out to tackle with how good he is at guard, but you never know. Uh, Purdue's a little thin at tackle. They have their backup quarterback. They got that in uh, Bennett Meredith, Arizona State transfer. I don't think you're going to find another quarterback. I think if you could find someone who's a legit difference maker at receiver, you would probably take that. But, you know, again, with all of this, it's not like there's a ton of big-time talent in the portal right now. Big-time proven talent. Uh, I guess you don't know what you're going to get really till the guys show up, but not a ton of proven talent in the portal. So we'll see what Purdue does there. And then will the stadium be done on time? That's kind of the last question here. Uh, Tom Dean Hart over at Golden Black had a nice article this week with Mike Babinski. Uh, they are expecting it to be done on time. So um, again, you know, with a little over 100 days out, they will certainly be on a mad dash to the finish to get that thing done. Going to look much different with the Tiller Tunnel there in the northeast corner, with the students in the south end zone, with the south end zone filled uh, with seats there for the first time since 20... What would that have been? Was that 2013 that those were still there in the old little bleachers there? So going to be a much different stadium. Uh, this fall. And finally, I wanted to close out here with a little bit of the beyond part of this podcast with conference realignment. The big story in college sports last week was the ACC because it is very obvious, very clear that the ACC and some of the bigger schools, more prominent athletic programs in that league want to explore the possibility of leaving and breaking that grant of rights. Their conference's TV deal runs through 2036. So in theory, the ACC owns the television rights to all of those schools through 2036. The problem is it's not very lucrative. Uh, it is not remotely close to what the Big Ten and what the SEC schools will make on a per-school basis from TV each year. So you've got Florida State, Clemson, Miami, Virginia Tech, Carolina, some of the bigger names in there, they're interested in getting out. Uh, I am not an attorney. I, I do not have a law degree, so I have no idea kind of the inner workings of this. I think at some point they're probably going to find their way out. But if it were, you know, super easy, they probably would have done it already. From a Big Ten perspective, just from a pure conference perspective, there are certainly some interesting possibilities here. If the league chooses to expand, if these schools become available, I think North Carolina is probably the big one. Uh Florida State and Clemson really just seem like SEC schools. I don't know that Notre Dame is going to join a conference even if this happens, but you know they'd certainly be one you'd want as well. I think though, you know North Carolina is probably that one because they are strong enough in football. I don't know that basketball really matters in any of this, but. You know, it's one of the biggest brands in basketball, if not the biggest. It's a very good academic school. Um, it's part of the AAU. 
it matters um, to the Big Ten, I guess. I I don't know. I, I'm not an academic. I don't know. I, I understand the importance of academics, but I don't necessarily know why the Big Ten gets so held up on that. But, oh, well, so be it. Um, so that matters. I think Virginia maybe kind of fits in that as well. Another really good school. Now, do they care enough about football? Like, I don't know. There are some questions there. I never know what to make of Miami. You know, they, they take academics seriously. Um, it's a private school. It's a good school. But it just feels like such a bizarre fit when you just look at their history with run-ins with the NCAA and the way that program was run for so long. Uh, it makes it feel like more of an SEC fit, but you never know. Just in general, though. I've expressed this before. I think it's the sentiment that a lot of people probably feel. Uh, this isn't fun. I don't like any of this. You know, the college sports that most of us fell in love with as a kid, they're gone. You know... The sport now is all about the expanded playoff. It's all about these giant TV deals for two conferences. And everyone is trying to figure out how they can get into those two conferences. Uh, the days of college sports kind of being a regional thing are long gone. You know, it used to be ACC country was a real thing. Of course, SEC country is real. The Big Ten, uh, the Big 12 used to be a nice little geographic footprint. And, of course, you had the Pac-10 Pac back in the day. Uh, that's just not how it is anymore. And there's no point in sitting here and crying because it's, you know, crying because it's over. But it's a bummer. This is only good from a financial standpoint, though, because while the schools like Purdue are getting more money from this, that's the only positive. Competitively, this doesn't help Purdue. What does adding more, more football programs that are historically better than Purdue do for Purdue, it, it makes it harder to win there. It makes your ceiling lower. It it makes everything more difficult competitively, but you get a bigger paycheck. You know, even, and it's not just Purdue. Uh, if you're anyone besides Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State, kind of the three programs that take football more seriously than anyone else in the league and are kind of on a different level in investment, if you're not those three schools, then, you know, you're, as Bud Elliott always says over on the Cover 3 podcast, you take the check, you take the losses. And that's what's unfortunate about this is it makes it a lot harder for the schools like Purdue to get to the top, to get to, you know, an eight, nine win point. That's why I really tried to encourage Purdue fans last year when they got to the Big Ten Championship game, enjoy that because I I don't know when you're getting the chance to go back. Um, 
Purdue's fortunate to be in this spot to a certain degree because there are a lot of schools in the Power Five that are maybe on the lower tier of the competitive landscape in football that are suddenly shell-shocked. But, you know, if you're one of those schools in the Pac-12 or the Big 12 or the ACC, then yeah, you know, you're you're freaking out right now. But Purdue doesn't have to worry there. But it does make it more difficult to build winning programs at Purdue, you know, compared to some of the rest of the conference. But that's what it's about. It's all about the dollars and cents. We all get it. That's part of it. Uh, but I digress. Did want to touch on that, though. Next week, uh, I'm going to be gone, but I will have a pre-recorded episode that will drop on Monday or Tuesday. Um, might leave that for Tuesday since Monday is Memorial Day. You can bask in your post-Indy 500 hangover. Uh, but I'm going to be discussing Jeff Brom's legacy at Purdue uh, it's something that I kind of got some inspiration just from seeing people argue about Jeff Brom on the message boards all the time still. So that's what we're going to talk about. That will change, however, if Zach Eady makes a decision first. So if by the time I sit down to record that episode, Zach Eady has made a decision one way or the other, then I'll push that back a week and do a Zach Eady episode first. I don't expect that to happen, though. Plan on a Jeff Brom legacy episode, um, but I will fill you in on Twitter at Boilers Beyond. Be sure to follow there. Uh, plenty of discussion there, talking about this latest Kevin Warren disaster over there right now. Uh, so check that out, and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss anything all summer. Until then, guys, take care and enjoy the greatest spectacle in racing on Sunday.